Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, good morning. We are back with you on your ride to work or taking care of your kids at home. It is Reformation Month, and uh, we've been talking about the historical context leading up to the Reformation, and and we touched a little um, on Sola Scriptura last week, and so we're going to kind of continue that today, um, essentially asking what are the implications um, of Sola Scriptura, and I, I want to start by this by this quote by this rather kind of infamous, uh, infamous biblical scholar. I, I normally wouldn't quote him. Uh, it's Bart Ehrman, but he once began his class on the New Testament by asking his students the, these questions. He said, number one, how many of you would agree that the Bible is the inspired word of God? And in that class, everybody raised their hand. It's, it's a Bible class. Of course you would, right? And he said, okay, great. Now, how many of you had read have read the Harry Potter series? And almost all of their hands go up again. And so then he says, okay, now how many have you read the entire Bible? And then very, very few hands go up. So let's just start there. Co- comment on that phenomenon. It's interesting that we, we will say that the Bible is the authority in my life, that the Bible is sufficient, that it's necessary for me to, to live um, and then engage so little with it. Um, and so I often say to used to say when I was a high school teacher, I don't care what you say. I do care what you do. And so if you tell me that it's important for you to do well in school and then don't do any studying, then I don't believe that it's actually important for you to do well in school because yeah. I believe your actions more than I, I uh, agree with your the verbiage. Yeah. And I think that's been the issue, at least in the broad Protestant church for an awful long time that we claim that we have a high view of Scripture, that we believe in Scripture alone, that we believe that it's it's an absolute authority. I, I don't think there's a lot of people challenging the inerrancy of Scripture or the infallibility of Scripture or the authority of Scripture or the necessity of Scripture. Um, but um, we often talk about practical atheists. Um, I don't know what the phrase would be to be practically um, neglecting the, the Word of God um, and so undermining the idea that it actually is Scripture alone. And I think, you know, if we just take our cues from Jesus, just follow his example, you know, uh, the New Testament tells us that Jesus is literally the God the Son, the second person of the Holy Trinity, God the Word. He is the actual living Word that has been incarnate. And so we would tend to reason that Jesus would not really need the Scriptures, right? Because he's the incarnate Word of God himself. He perfectly reveals the character of God and the glory of God. But we see the exact opposite with Jesus. He was preeminently a man of Scripture from early ages by 12. He knows Scripture better than all the Jewish scholars that are down at the temple. And we see at every 
critical moment of his life when he's being tempted by the devil. He quotes Scripture every time. Even when the devil starts quoting Scripture and misapplying it, Jesus continues to quote quote, and apply Scripture. When he's hanging on the cross, you know, he quotes Psalm 22. He doesn't just pray to the Father. He prays Psalm 22 to the Father. All of these critical moments, Scripture was just part of him. He was a man of the scriptures, and we need to have the same kind of hunger and closeness to the Word of God that that Jesus did, even after he was resurrected. When he appears in Luke uh, 24 to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, he keeps them from recognizing him. And what does he do? He preaches from the scriptures. And they talked about how their hearts burned. You know, we need our hearts to burn again today in a good way, inflamed Well, how did Jesus do it? He's showing them, even going forward by the Holy Spirit, the way that he's going to inflame us and and give us strength and power and comfort and make us courageous and godly is still through the scriptures applied by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I mentioned this last couple times ago, but this is Kevin DeYoung has a chapter in his book, Taking God at His Word, that deals with how does Jesus view scripture? Um, and a lot of what Alan is saying comes out in that chapter. I, I Once again, I highly recommend that book if you're just trying to think through how should I view Scripture. Most of us know what it's like to pick up the Bible after we've left it set aside for a while, and then we, wa- we wonder to ourselves, why have I let other preoccupations rob me of this um, pleasure and joy of doing that? And then also, we also know what it's like to pick up the Word of God and find that it's convicting us. And that makes us sometimes want to set it down because we are at heart a rebellious kind of people. We want to do our own thing. And as soon as we begin to read it, we realize that it actually is addressing us. And so all the time we have to be asking ourselves about God's Word. What is it saying about God? What is it saying about me? But uh, Hebrews 4.12 says, The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And I think that because it does discern the thoughts and intentions of our heart, sometimes it's easy for us to set it aside and and far easier to read Harry Potter for that matter because that's that's an indulgence in just uh, a fantasy where this is actually reality. And I think you know how a lot of times when we become physically ill, we really need to eat. We need nutrition. But it's the last thing we feel like doing. But what we need is the opposite of what we feel like. And I think it's the same thing spiritually. A lot of times we may be a little down, discouraged, what have you. And the thing we need most is, is time in God's Word. But a lot of times when we need it most, we'll feel like it the least. Yes, that's we gotta right. we got to keep that in mind, and we got to encourage one another, that's too. That's right. Well, and that's why, you know, this idea of Sola Scriptura is not just a, a theoretical doctrine that's on, on the shelf. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a doctrine for your heart. Doctrine is for living. And, um, l- you know, to tie this back to the Reformation, Luther said something that, I mean, it's, it's very Luther-esque, right, when he's talking about how he saw the Reformation working. He said um, about the Bible, he said, quote, in short, I will preach the Bible, teach the Bible, write it, 
Uh, but I will constrain no one by force because faith must come freely without compulsion. Take myself, for example. I opposed indulgences and all the papists, but never with force. I simply taught, preached, and wrote about God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept or while I drank Wittenberg beer with my friends Philip and Amsdorf, the words, the word of God so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or heir emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing. The word of God did everything. And connecting that to what you're saying, Alan, um, you feel weak. You feel like you can't fight the temptations that are that are coming upon you. Do you feel angry with what you sing in culture? Do you feel depressed? Do you, do you feel any number of other, you know, um, maladies? Go to the word of God. Let the word of God do the work upon you. Let it do the surgery that your heart needs. It's like what Spurgeon said. The word of God is like a lion in a cage. You just need to let the lion out. Right? Absolutely. And we, and we need that word for not, it's not just doctrine, you know, per se, not just the things to believe, but the things to do as well um, in the realm of ethics, in our daily behavior. You know, when we're asking what, what does God want of me? What does God require of me? And and the answer is always obedience to his revealed will. Where Where is that revealed will given to us? That revealed will is given to us in the word of God. That's, that's, that's the ethical rule for our lives. That's, you know, and we shouldn't, um, uh, detract from that. We shouldn't add to it because this is the final definitive expression of what God says is the whole duty of man. What, um, Josh was quoting from Luther is really just the refrain of the book of Acts, um, that the word of God continued to increase, to continue to grow. Um, and that's really what Luther was, was seeing in his own day, is the work of Christ in his world um, through his word continuing. And that's kind of the, the, the point of the book of Acts, that Jesus Christ is continuing to work within his, his world, in his church, and he does that work through his word. Um, and the word does it all, um, and it, the word is a power, and that that's part of the sola scriptura is to recognize the authority of the word of God. Um, that's transformative, yeah. um, and I often say I think so often we get too smart for our own good, yeah. um, and we we think somehow that we know more than God knows, and that we. If we if we manipulate and and if we try to do all of these different programs and schemes and all of these other things, that that's how God builds His church. Yeah. And and when we forget, no, it, it's through the power of His Word and Spirit um, that 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 happens. Me and my um, Matt Marino, the, the pastor who planted the well and who discipled me for a number of years, we were visiting this saint one time who was on her deathbed, literally, and he insightfully said, you know. There's going to be a time very soon when we, when you and I are on our own deathbed, and the only thing that's going to comfort us, the only thing, is the Word of God. I mean, what else do you want when you're lying? I mean, if we have that opportunity, lying on our beds next to our loved ones, what do we want? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Um, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Those are the things that sustain the soul. And if they sustain the soul in the darkest of times, and I think this is what you were getting at, Alan, if they sustain our soul in the darkest of times, then they sustain our soul all the time. Dr. Beakey has this wonderful little summation of Sola Scriptura in his book, Living for God's Glory. It says, how well do we understand the principle of Sola Scriptura? 
Do we search, love, live, and pray over the scriptures? Is the Bible the compass that leads us through the storms and over the waves that we encounter in life? Is scripture the mirror by which we dress ourselves, the rule by which we work, the water by which we wash, the fire that warms us, the food that nourishes us, and the sword by which we fight, the counselor who resolves our doubts and fears and the heritage that enriches us? Are we learning from scripture, as John Flavel said, the best way of living, the noblest way of suffering, and the most profitable way of dying? Has sola scriptura become our personal watchword, causing us, like Luther and Calvin, to become captive in our consciences to the very words of God? Mm. And I, I like the way Solomon puts it in the Proverbs where he talks about wisdom being like buried treasure, silver and gold, if you dig for it, if you search for it. I grew up in part of Florida that uh, had had a, a pirate that frequented that area. Uh, era, uh, a real that pirate? Era. Yeah. Wait, yeah. is this when Jonathan was down in Florida? <laughs> <laughs> Not, the not dread, him. The dread pirate Jonathan. <laughs> so every year, as part of the, they would have this big festival, um, and they would bury a treasure that was somewhere around on the beaches, around the bays, and in, in a certain confined area. And they'd put a few hundred dollars in this treasure chest, and they would put clues every day in the newspaper. People went crazy over trying to find, I mean, people were everywhere digging, hunting, trying to find this treasure. That's the way God made us. And God is telling us, it's like the the fundamentals, the things we have to know to be saved. Yes, he makes them very clear. He puts them right there on the surface for us. But there are so many riches. He didn't put them all on the surface. He buried treasure. Mm. It's treasure there. And we need to act like it. Amen. When I when my kids were young, we had a, a book called Light on the Path, and, and it begins, Wisdom, what is it? It's treasure untold. It's better than rubies or diamonds or gold. For when you know God and follow his ways, then you'll be blessed all of your days. Amen. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. We will see you next time. 